Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me today is my guest, Dr. Marilyn Benoit. She is CMO at Devereaux, and we're going to talk today about some really important things. First, the work she's doing in her community, her and organization, which I think is very impressive. But also, take a look for those of us who are clinicians around the country about ways we can deal with people who have certain unique challenges, giving back to the community, talking about how people who have mental illness, disabilities, other challenges that may impact them, how they can be mainstreamed, helped, and also we as clinicians can make a difference in their lives. So I'm very excited to have Dr. Benoit join me. I appreciate your taking the time. And first of all, welcome to the program. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to join you. My first question for me, tell me a little bit, I mean, I, those of us who are familiar with Devereaux know a lot about it, but give me a little sense of, of what you do and also the, the things you're trying to do in the community so that we can extend and talk about it around the country. Just a little bit about Devereaux was started by Helena Devereaux. She was a special ed teacher, and that's important because she became very concerned about the children in school who were not really getting their needs met and borrowed $500 and opened up the house on the main line in Philadelphia and started her own little private sort of residential treatment center where she taught these kids with special needs. Word spread around the country, and people started approaching her, and um, over time would hand over a kid with special needs and maybe a piece of land and say, you know, take care of my child. So that's sort of a little quick nutshell. So somebody starts with that kind of dream. Obviously, it's a great dream. How does it turn into what it is today, providing the services that it does? It is truly incredible because Devereaux now is around the country, and we actually touch around 20,000 lives because we have expanded into residential treatment for adolescents with emotional, behavioral, psychiatric disorders. We also treat people with disabilities across the lifespan with intellectual and developmental disabilities. And we have actually gone into therapeutic foster care and um, into the child welfare arena. So we really have expanded our reach and also have gone into different levels of care. It's not just campus-based. We also have group homes, and we also do in-home services. In addition, we have really begun to specialize a lot in autism. It's just been incredible what this one woman started, and we we have spread our wings. Well, I know you're true to the mission, and part of what we were talking about earlier, and I wanted to introduce to the program, is what you're doing now to give back to the community, more or less, where you serve, encouraging people to, to essentially get the help they need. What are you doing? What are these extra steps? Okay, so what I, I, one of the things I became concerned about is that we were essentially waiting for people to come to us. And in my 30-plus years of my professional work as a child and adolescent psychiatrist, I've found out that people in the community are very needy, they need information, and sometimes they don't even know what they need. So that I thought it would be important for us to do an outreach, go into the community and offer sort of town hall kinds of meetings. And uh, we always try to focus on uh, helping families and building resilience. Because as families have challenges, you know, people get worn out, they get burned out, but they need to keep going. And we try to give them the information and also provide resources, if we can't do it ourselves, to really link them up in the community with a network of resources that can help them. And this is what I thought was fascinating because 
we have people, again, around the country who are trying to do similar things. Obviously, they may not have the resources of Devereaux, but what do you suggest for clinicians to try and do that in their own communities? How do you even begin something like okay, this? Okay, so this is how you begin. And I think that each one of us, even as an individual clinician, this is how I personally started. I would go to PTAs. I remember one particular, it was a black inner city church in Washington, D.C., and they had a family night. And I went there and just talked about parenting and raising healthy children. And I think that if you can reach into schools, reach into churches, just go where people are, you will get an audience. Because it is incredible that as clinicians, we have a lot of information, a lot of expertise that people can't access. And sometimes we think that, oh, the Internet is where people can get anything they need. But they really don't know how, and they don't know what is credible. Boy, I think you made a good point there, because I know a lot of people will come to me and they'll say, well, I looked this up on the Internet. And sometimes sometimes they get great results and, and get great help. But other situations, you know, talk to them and you're like, where did you get that information? Well, it was on the Internet. And then you later find out that there was some product somebody was selling as a result of why they had the website or whatever. And people fall into that trap because they may not know that rate-limiting question. You know, They may not exactly. know what to do. People are unable to discriminate as to what is credible and what is not. So in this case, what you're doing is you're getting out, and, and I think you're right, people will come to you. And the thought is you're not probably going to get everybody, but you start to build a little momentum. Exactly. So we try to offer things that we know that people are hungry for, is the way I put it. One of the things that you hear a lot, you read it in the papers, people don't know anything about medication. But they go to doctors and they get medication and they are hesitant to really ask, but then they're concerned. And um, so one of the, the workshops I give is on medication, how to navigate the medication maze. So I have people come to me and say, okay, throw out the names of medications that you know. And people throw names. And it's amazing. People just don't know what they're for, what side effects to look for, and afraid to ask about dosing, and it's amazing what people say when I start talking about medication. And I arm them with language to go back to their doctors and ask questions and push the system to give them what they need. And when you do that, um, I, I mean, I now I know you're used to it at this point, but probably a lot of people who are going to go out and do this for the first time might be surprised, but I would think in a way that makes what you're doing, makes you feel a lot better about it because you realize you are making a difference because these people truly don't have the answer. That's right. You know, even something as what we might think is simple as getting an IEP for your child in school, individual educational plan, people feel intimidated by the system. And the system is difficult and complex. But we have a whole workshop on the IEPs and give people a little book that gives them the how-to the questions to ask, and what their rights are. That's the other thing that people don't know a lot. What are their rights? People pay, you know, taxes, and they don't know what their rights are to go and get back some of the, what the federal government has said. Because you have a disability, you have a right to get the services that will allow you to maximize your potential in life. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and I am speaking with Dr. Marilyn Benoit. Dr. Benoit is the CMO of Devereaux, and 
in that role, we're talking a little bit now about ways what she's learned we can take into our own practices. You, you bring up a good point about people who can get things that the government provides. We all have patients who have various disabilities and different challenges they're facing. And I know as a primary care doctor, we help them on the medical side sometimes, but we may not be able to help as much with social service and those things. Some of us now have social workers and people in our offices which can help and trying to go to the patient center medical home can be helpful for that too. But in most cases, somebody who's out there practicing and they want to do what they can, where do they turn? Um, Where would they get help for their patient if they realize that there's additional services in one form or another that they could take advantage of, but they just don't know how to get them that help? Well, you know, another area to educate people about is, you know, there's the private sector, what their private insurance might be able to give them access to, and even how to talk to the insurance company and find out what are the resources within the insurance company. And if people have to go to the public sector, then to help them get to those clinics, there are community mental health clinics, uh, there might be clinics attached to hospitals, and the hospitals are always required to serve Medicaid patients. So they're helping people navigate the very complex system. And I find that some of our more needy people who are expected to really go to great lengths in complex systems, that we really need to do some hand-holding. Do you see any changes now with the beginning of Obamacare and those changes in affordability? Are there changes you see where people are getting more access in that way? I have to be honest with you. At this point in time, I have not seen results as yet. And I'm patient because, you know, it's relatively brand new. And it takes a little while for things to work through. So I'm still waiting. Okay. Now, I was just curious because if there were tools or ways people could get help in, in that type of a setting. Number one, see about getting the insurance. And one of the problems we have in the mental health arena is that, for instance, there are only about 10,000 child psychiatrists in the country. And we need about 40,000. So it might be that you wouldn't get to see a child psychiatrist, but maybe you'll see a nurse practitioner who works with a child psychiatrist. We call them physician extenders. And when you're doing that, at least you're getting some help in a situation. But I know in the community where I practice, and I'm sure I'm not alone, it's tough to get psychiatric services for patients in general. For instance, someone might get a form of outpatient treatment or whatever when they need inpatient, or they need 10 days and three days are paid for. How about those issues? my goodness, you are really hitting me where I have a passion (laughs) because we really are not meeting the needs. And one of the things I would like to see is that people get good assessments. And I start there because if we don't assess people properly, then the treatment plan is not adequate. And I like to point out that when we talk about mental illness, what we're talking about is brain diseases. And that's critical, I think, to change that paradigm because I think it adds a little bit more urgency and seriousness to what we're really dealing with and that it's not okay to put somebody in a hospital for two or three days, throw some medicine at them, and send them out. That is inadequate treatment. Well, I think you make a really good point there. I think that we're trying to get rid of the stigma associated. People still are afraid to talk about things. They don't want to say that depression, anxiety, or other issues run in their family or whatever, but they're willing to say that heart disease runs in my family. Yeah, Isn't that so easy that every organ in our body, we talk about heart disease, kidney disease, lung disease, 
but we do not want to talk about brain disease. And there's a lot of room for education. I was watching a football game this past weekend, and I saw where someone went out of the game. Uh, they were hit in the head. They were concussed. Yeah. They came back into the game. But then later they hurt their ankle and they were taken out of the game for the ankle immediately as if that <laughs> you know, they couldn't really understand the head injury despite all the knowledge that's out there. That's right. And I'll give you a quick example of a nurse who was very familiar with attention deficit disorder came to me with her son and said, Dr. Benoit, my son has ADHD and I want you to give him medication. Well, I am very, very, very much a stickler for we must do an assessment did an assessment, the good old medical history that we learn in medical school, and found out he had a series of concussions, and that what was looking like ADHD was really a traumatic brain injury. And so I sent him off to the neurologist, and that was confirmed. So I I keep saying we must do assessments, assessments, assessments. And you just don't run to medication right away, too. You have to... Exactly. Absolutely. And I think that's across the board for, you know, for those of us who practice in, in most medical areas, you, if you jump right away to medication, to pain medication, to antihypertensive, oh you know, you, you get your reasons why sometimes they're better off. You find the underlying cause. Exactly. And then people get adequate treatment. And it might take a little bit longer, but the person is better served. I'm talking with Dr. Marilyn Benoit. We only have time for about one more question, and that would be, what didn't I ask you that you'd like to talk about that you think is important from the perspective of, of reaching out and helping others? Okay, so one of the things that we like to do is that when young people have whatever challenge, whether it's autism, schizophrenia, depression, anxiety, whatever it is, these young people grow up and they get to that point where they move into adulthood and that transitional area really gets to be a challenge for the young person and often a challenge for the family. So that's an area that we like to address in terms of how do you provide the supports. If the person is going into college, how do you hook up with the Office of Disabilities? If the person is going into a vocational, how do you have the support, maybe a coach who helps that person navigate? And that's a whole big area that I think is so important because Kids do grow up, and uh, they don't get rid of the autism or the schizophrenia, etc. Dr. Marilyn Benoit, we've run out of time. I want to thank you <laughs> for joining us and sharing your insights on primary care today. Well, listen, thank you so much for having me, and I want to invite everybody to check out our conference at Devereaux.org. That'd be great, Devereaux.org. And this is Dr. Brian McDonough. If you missed any of this discussion, please visit ReachMD.com slash Today to download the podcast and learn more on this series. Thanks again for listening.